0: Welcome to the Next Gen VC Podcast. I'm Mike Hosteller.
1: and I'm Jen Feng.
0: Today we are talking with Hyung Chun, who is a director at Foresight Capital, which is a multi-stage healthcare and life sciences investment firm.
1: I'm particularly excited to talk to Hyung, who gave up a fully tenured professor position at Yale to become a VC. It's so great to have you on the podcast, Hyung.
2: Great to be here, Mike and Jen. Thanks so much for having me.
0: You bet. Let's start off with how long have you been at Foresight Capital?
2: So yeah, I joined Foresight back in 2020, so just about three years now.
0: So prior to joining Foresight, uh, you were a professor at Yale. We'll get shortly to your transition to the VC world, but first for our listeners, can you tell us how you ended up becoming a professor at Yale?
2: Yeah, so I am a trained cardiologist, I went to medical school and did training in internal medicine and a cardiovascular fellowship and I uh, became faculty at Yale straight out of my fellowship. As a faculty, I climbed up the ladder starting as an assistant professor and uh, rose up to the ranks of associate professor and was a tenured associate professor by the time I decided to change trajectories a bit in my career and enjoying Foresight.
0: So you must've had a pretty comfortable job at Yale. You, have, you were tenured, as you mentioned. Tell us a little bit about how you decided maybe you wanted something different and, and, and how you ended up going into venture.
2: Yeah, no, the, the job, the position I had at Yale was fantastic. I started at Yale in 2009 as just a newly appointed faculty really trying to figure out the ropes, starting a research lab funded by the NIH, hiring postdocs, writing grants, and also doing experiments on my own. While at the same time, I'm seeing patients in both the hospital and the clinic as a cardiologist. So It was about saying multiple things at the same time. And as I kind of grew into the role, things became a bit easier from, in terms of getting good uh, silo trainings to come work in my lab as well as having additional resources to really expand the research enterprise and it was a fantastic experience for which i, I very much enjoyed for the 10 11 years i was a full time faculty at yale and and i think kind of what kind of motivated the exploration of other opportunities around that t- around the time i joined foresight was really this interest in trying to push some of the research findings in my lab into the clinic, into humans. Most of the research in the lab was primarily focused on mechanistic studies, using both animal models as well as in vitro studies to get a better understanding of different mechanisms of cardiovascular disease, whether that's heart failure, atherosclerosis, pulmonary hypertension, and others. The challenge in the academic setting was to try to push these early discoveries to the clinic, it was difficult to try to pursue such an effort as in a part-time basis, which you would have to do in the academic setting. We did seek and receive some early seed funding for some of the startup ideas while I was on faculty at Yale, but really couldn't devote enough time or energy into those efforts to really feel like I did all I could to really push these ideas and to try to see them to the, to the finish line. So, you know, kind of that that motivation to really spend more effort and more energy into translating some of these findings to humans was kind of what got me interested in exploring other opportunities. And that was around the time that I was introduced to Foresight and our founder and CEO, Jim Tenenbaum, and got the discussion going with Jim at that time.
1: And you started doing a consulting role with Foresight?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I took a number of baby steps to get here. Obviously, as we mentioned, you know, being a tenured faculty at Yale does offer adoptability. There's a lot of, you know, resources at Yale that you, you really have to think hard before deciding to kind of move on from such a role. So what Jim had offered, which I'm quite grateful for was the opportunity to work on a part-time basis as a consultant with the investment team at Foresight and as a faculty, full-time faculty at places like Yale and other academic institutions. A lot of them do offer faculty members with the option to do part-time consulting for external organizations. So I started working as a part-time consultant. About 20% of my effort was with Foresight during the first six months or so. And after the initial experience, really enjoyed what I was doing, really enjoyed working with the team at Foresight. So actually ended up taking a one-year unpaid sabbatical from Yale. because I wasn't quite ready to give up my faculty role at Yale, but I really wanted to really try to give this a good effort to try to do this full-time. So worked with Ford Foresight for one year, full-time, as a clinical advisor. And after that one year, transitioned over to a full time Foresight employee and uh, transitioned to an adjunct faculty at Yale as in summer of uh, 2022.
1: So, Foresight invests in both early stage and I guess later stage public companies, preclinical as well as clinical stage companies as well, right? And seems like across a variety of indications and modalities. How does it work for the Aspiring VCs who are listening to this podcast, can you enlighten us?
2: So, yeah, as I mentioned, I'm a trained cardiologist, but in this job, obviously, we're faced with multiple companies in multiple different areas, not just cardiology, whether it's autoimmune disease, oncology, neuroscience. So, you know, I think kind of it's really important to really have, take a step back and you know, really understand what you don't know so that you can spend time into digging into what you need to know to really try to make the most informed decision as we're diligently companies and their programs.
1: So one of the reasons why I'm at Wilson is because I made a commitment to focus on my sciences and I wanted to leverage Mike and his team, this patent group, and I constantly called them up to say, hey, like, what does this company actually do and break it down for me? So who are your go-to resources? I'm just curious, how do you get up to speed on all this cutting-edge technology?
2: So we, we yeah, we leverage both individuals and resources, both internal to foresight as well as external to foresight. Our, our team is comprised of members who have spent many years in the pharmaceutical industry, members who are highly experienced medicinal chemists, members who have spent time in, in, in with investment banks. As well as folks such as myself and others who are clinically trained as well as research trained with kind of the capability to both understand some of these early stage clinical data, whether it's phase one, phase two data, as well as some of the mechanisms that's the basis for some of these early stage programs for various indications. There's a pretty wide range of knowledge base that we rely on within Foresight. As well as when issues come up, such as something like IT diligence, we call on uh, you know, folks like Mike to really help us you know, with, the, with their strong knowledge base to really dig into these items that we may not have the expertise for within Foresight, but certainly others uh, external to Foresight have the knowledge base to, to really do the proper diligence.
0: So compare a day in the life of a Yale professor and a day in the life of a director at Foresight Capital?
2: I think they're different yet similar in many ways. At Yale, as an academic research faculty, when there were deadlines such as grant deadlines that needed to be submitted, you might be up all night trying to wrap up those grant submissions. Other times when you're writing papers also, you spend many hours in trying to get those ready for submission. As a clinician taking care of patients, sometimes you're on call and then you have to go into the hospital and late at night, to take care of the sick patients. So though that was the life at Yale prior to Foresight. At, at Foresight, it's a you know, different set of kind of leaves on your time that might happen at different times of the day, uh, different days of the week. Sometimes on uh, say something, some new finding comes out over a weekend. You spend the whole weekend really digging into things so that you know by the time the team gets together on Monday, you're ready to really discuss the findings and discuss what next steps to take. Other times, you know, we have team members both on the East Coast as well as West Coast. So yeah, sometimes, you know, you're up, I'm based on the East Coast, so sometimes you're up uh, later than you might be, just uh, communicating with the folks who are on the West Coast, just to make sure that everybody's on the same page. So, you know, when I first joined Foresight, I actually felt that this was the best opportunity for a physician cycle. Because my previous job at Yale, I kind of felt like I lived two different roles. When I'm seeing patients in the hospital and in clinic, uh, I put on my clinical cardiologist hat and managing those patients. Whereas when I'm running my research lab, I put on my kind of the basic science hat to really try to understand the biological mechanisms, which, you know, with the type of research that I was involved with was not as clinically translatable. So a lot of times those research efforts would take a different mindset to really understand the basic mechanisms that we're trying to understand. Whereas here at Foresight, I found it to be quite a unique opportunity where you're on the cusp for many of the programs, on the cusp of targets or mechanisms that has potential of drug relevance to human disease. 'Cause you know, oftentimes those are the companies that we are focused on that we're interested in. Cause we don't want, you know, we're perhaps less um keen on evaluating companies with some of the mechanisms that may be quite compelling, but maybe many, many years away from from the clinic. So, you know, a lot of the many of the investments that we focus on, we, we try to diligence on our therapeutics team do fall within the realm of kind of near-IND, peri-IND space where there are mechanisms that have to make kind of the biologic sense, but at the same time have been reasonably de-risked to really have kind of conviction that this will likely work in the early stage of clinical trials.
1: So your role actually allows you to marry both the science side and the clinical side rather than switching back and forth?
2: Yeah, for sure. I I think having gone through the medical training, I think you know, does give me some sense of additional comfort that I have a better sense of what kind of signals to look for in these early clinical studies, whether it's a safety finding or whether it's a efficacy finding that you know I could potentially tie in to really help us make a better informed decision.
0: You know, along those lines, when I think about the law practice, young, we we go to law school and we learn a certain amount of things, and then we start work at a law firm. And we find that we know nothing at all about the law. And and most of what we learn is from apprenticeship, from learning from others. Do you find it the similar way in the investment world that really a lot of it is an an apprenticeship and maybe give us a sense of how you, you talked a little bit about this, but how you have learned about the investment world, uh, having come from science and, and medicine
2: absolutely you know the medical training itself is in many ways like an apprenticeship where as a medical student you're shadowing or following residents and faculty attendings as a resident you're following fellows and attendings and as a fellow you're following attendings and really learning from what they do in addition to really gaining your own knowledge base by reading both you know textbooks as well as uh, manuscripts and such so foresight i think also falls and then healthcare investment, in my experience thus far has kind of fallen in the same category where, you know, I do have some knowledge base to offer from my experience, both running a research lab as well as seeing patients in the hospital. But at the same time, to really apply that knowledge to the healthcare investment context was something that I had very little experience in doing. And to work with the team, the fantastic team we have at Foresight, who have many, many years of experience in having done that, both within Foresight as well as from the team members. Other previous experience, I think has been really a tre- tremendous opportunity for me to really learn from from their their years of experience.
1: So I often describe starting the Boston office of Wilson Sonsini as running a well-funded startup of its own. And I was curious if Now that you're on the investment side, whether you feel like having your own lab was anything like a startup or totally different?
2: Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think having the lab was in different ways like a startup, except, you know, perhaps more modestly funded. And so, yeah, I mean, I think we talked to a number of early stage startup companies, whether it may be just a couple of founders as maybe a couple of trainees from their labs and such. And you know, starting an academic lab, obviously, you're in a very similar situation where you're a new faculty with a startup from an institution, and you really have to build up your team, whether it's postdocs, graduate students, or even undergrads or others, and trying to convince them to join your team as an unproven, untested leader of your your academic lab, when you're comparing to many others who are already established faculty, you know, that's definitely a challenging experience, but you find different ways to really make it happen. I mean, I spent many hours trying to convince postdocs to join my lab in the beginning. You know, some I got very lucky with and, you know, really found these exceptional trainees who were interested in coming to my lab from across the world and some of those journeys and and really worked out and worked out together worked out really great.
1: On the flip side, what do you think for those who do run labs who might want to go into the startup community, what do you think are some key differences?
2: I think the kind of the academic mindset and, and I, I have to tell you that things that I think about now, uh, kind of the mindset that I have when talking to some of these startups. You know, sometimes I realize how naive I must have been when I was in the academic setting trying to pitch some of my ideas to some of these early stage VCs that I was talking to when I was a full-time faculty at Yale. So, you know, as before I had I had joined Foresight, obviously I thought my ideas were the greatest and the best. This is a novel therapy for disease. X. No one's willing to give me any financial support. Whereas now having kind of talked to many of these early stage, as well as later stage companies, there are certain things that you really realize are kind of necessary, certain checkbox that needs to be checked for the academic startups to really kind of not, not necessarily prove themselves, but it needs to really needs, you know, show some degree of de risking of what they're trying to do okay. as they're seeking investments.
1: Yeah, I think as a role of a corporate lawyer, a lot of times what we try to do is say what should be interesting is about is a science, right? And a lot of times investors can take on biology risk, but they don't want to take the business risk. And so we try to keep the companies and the startup teams on on the up and up when it comes to governance and other things like that. So you probably are evaluating management teams and how they work together, among other things, right?
2: Right. And one other thing that I've I've kind of realized as an academician when you're trying to pitch your ideas, when the investor is asking for who is on the management team. I have to say, back then, when I was talking to uh, different VCs, I'm like, why do you care who the management team is? I am here (laughs) pitching you my idea. (laughs) That's great. But now, having been in this role for for a few years now, I realize how critical the management team is to really push forward a program, especially some of these early nascent programs because if you're the academic founder you're not going to have day and night to really work on the program you have your full-time day job as an academic faculty so you really need a team not just to run the program but someone a team that really has done it before to really give you the necessary guidance just to minimize the chances of missteps that are so often in some of these early stage startups
0: so, what do you do to recharge your battery, Hyung? Uh, what are your hobbies and interests?
2: Yeah, so you know, I spend a good amount of time outdoors when the weather is cooperative. Um, running, mountain biking, and and exercising broadly, and playing some tennis, and yeah, spend time with the family, wife, and the and the kids. Yeah.
1: So you know, in a world of startups and science, there's all you know, they're fundamentally risky ventures, right? And so, I imagine there's to be a lot of opportunities or, I guess, instances of crisis. You know, is there one situation that you can share with the audience and talk about how it played out?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think certainly there are times in early drug development where the unexpected happens, whether it's preclinical talk signal that's come up unexpectedly or whether it's early clinical safety data or early clinical efficacy data that did not align with your expectations. You know, without going into any specifics, I think in each of those times when something along that line have come up, I think being able to talk really within the team as well as between the investment team and the management team, I think that that communication is so critical where you know because each t- each member of the team oftentimes has different perspective on how to solve whatever the crisis may be, and really hearing from the different voices in the room at that time, I think has been highly effective when when there's clear dialogue as to how to really address uh, what whatever the issue was that came up.
1: Yeah, I, I see that as a theme. Like having surrounding yourself with the right folks and then having robust discussions uh, as, as a way to deal with uncertain situations when you're in a new and riskier venture.
2: That's right, for sure. Because, you know, obviously these are situations you don't want to be in, but in drug development, these things happen multiple times. They'll happen over and over. So just being as prepared as you can to really deal with those circumstances when they do arise. I think, you know, it's, it's certainly been a crucial element of my job at Foresight. And, you know, I, I, you know, just being fairly new to the field, certainly I have a lot more to learn from others than having something to offer others. But hopefully as my time with Foresight and my time in healthcare investment continues to grow, I'll have more to offer on down the road. So,
0: Young, what sort of stepping back to the big picture, what is one piece of advice that you really took to heart? And what's one guiding principle that you live by?
2: Yeah, I think one, one piece of advice that I think is important in this, in this line of work is really never say no forever. I think there are many companies or many programs that we evaluate, which may not be the best fit for Foresight at the time that the program was presented to us, but certainly things can change quite quickly in some cases where you know, there may be new data or new external findings that would change kind of how we view such an opportunity or such an investment. So you know, really kind of keeping an open line of dialogue where you are able to continue some of these dialogues, even if you you may turn down an opportunity for investment now, there may be a time in the future to work with that team or that company whether within that company or maybe in a different setting, so really keeping an open line of dialogue to be able to continue to interact going forward.
0: That's really powerful. I think that's important for many entrepreneurs that they have a, need a certain amount of resilience and and patience because sometimes the timing is not right, as you mentioned, and it may end up being a, a brilliant idea in the near future or in the short term. So going. A, Again, uh, sort of a, a fun question. What's the very first job you had? And I'm, I'm talking about going back in, uh, into the high school days. Did, did you have a Did you have a job in high school?
2: We did. So I I immigrated from Korea when I was uh, 10 years old. Our family moved to Sacramento, and we our family had a had a small business that was the van conversion business, where we would convert vans into kind of recreational vehicles with couches and TVs and windows. So that was wow. a family business that we had growing up. I would go there after school, work with my, my dad and putting in couches, stereo into vans, TVs, and and yeah, it was a lot of fun working with the family.
1: Does that mean that you did a lot of travel in RVs and camper vans in your childhood? <laughs>
2: So we, we did have one that was kind of the thing to do in the 19, I guess, 80s, 90s. You know, you take a van, you, you do road trips. Certainly in California, you know, we would take the van to Yosemite, to Lake Tahoe, to Monterey, or wherever. So yeah, did a good amount of that.
1: It's fun. Um, is there anything that you can tie in from that first job to what you do now? You know, Is there anything that you learned in your first role? that help prepare you to be a successful venture capitalist?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think, yes, I think kind of the work ethic that you develop in such an environment. You know, it was a, you know, it was a small business and, you know, I felt like, you know, I, I was this young kid, but, you know, had had something to, to offer. So I think really developing that early work ethic, I think, you know, is some is a lifelong skill that you take probably to your grave. So I think that was really helpful to really, you know, develop that mindset, you know, like I really need to get things done, get this done, and then we'll move on to the next one. So yeah, I think that that is something that I still think about. And I really, I don't, you know, blow things off. I, I would just make sure that I pay close attention to, and, and, and make sure I dedicate enough effort to make sure that I'm proud of what I, what I accomplish at the end of the day.
0: Maybe I'll just ask a final question. Jung, do you have any pieces of advice for a budding entrepreneur that you would like to close with?
2: Yeah, I think one advice is never be dissuaded with the no as an answer. I think, you know, there are, something may not be the right fit for one investor, but it may be a great fit for another. So, you know, really cast a wide net and yes, talk to as many people as possible. And at the same time, also, you know, seek um, advice from others who've kind of been there and done that. I wish I had given myself that advice when I was at Yale doing, trying to um, get seed funding for some of my ideas. But I mean, that thing is really important to have to talk to somebody who's kind of gone through the same path, you really learn from their experiences and mistakes. So you minimize the same the possibility of making the same type of mistakes over.
0: Thank you, Hyung. We really appreciate it. Talk with you today. And, uh, Looking forward to watching you and your career as you move forward. Thanks. No, thank you so much for having me very much. Enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks for listening to the Next Gen BC Podcast. We are sponsored by Wilson Sonsini, the premier life sciences law firm. We're also sponsored by LaunchBio, a nonprofit organization that focuses on building better biotechs by creating connections between entrepreneurs and investors. Thanks to AJ Machado for engineering and producing today's podcast, and Steve Prutzman for providing our theme music, which comes from his Passengers album. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platforms. And finally, let's all do great work out there.